We are going to be in the Psalms this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the 119th Psalm, uh, verses 105 through 112. Again, that's Psalm 119, 105 through 112, if you want to go ahead and turn there. So is anybody in the house this morning a yogurt fan? Anybody eat yogurt? Yeah, it's good, healthy, maybe some of you. Uh, I know some of you maybe not like yogurt. I, I, I enjoy yogurt. I find it tasty. I also feel better about myself when I eat yogurt than I do most other things that I eat. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because you have all of the advertisements and everything else that make yogurt seem very healthy and that it keeps your digestive system in track and, and all that stuff that yogurt is supposed to do for you. Um, I really like yogurt, too. I've always liked yogurt, even from the time when I was a little kid. And I would always enjoy the fruit on the bottom yogurt, you know, where you had to stir it up really well. And Yoplait, I think, was what we always used when I was a kid. Yogurt has changed over the years. I've got to be honest, I'm a little grossed out by the idea of gogurt. You know what I'm talking about with the little tube and the plastic? Corbin always gets those in his Happy Meals, and, and when, especially when they're lukewarm. I just don't know how I feel about holding a plastic little tube. of. Anyway, it's just kind of gross. But I like yogurt for the most part besides that. Um, and I particularly like strawberry banana yogurt. I value it. Uh, and it's not Yoplait that I buy anymore. I buy the good stuff. Now, this is a, a container of Chobani Greek yogurt, strawberry banana Probably my favorite flavor. I really enjoy it. Like I said, I value it. I'm willing to go to H-E-B and spend the money. It's not, it's not the cheap stuff. It's not like it's, you know, a bottle of wine or anything. It's not that expensive, but it's not, it's not the cheap stuff. And, and so, um, you know, I, I do spend a little more money on, on this than I would, you know, the, the, the great value brand or, or uh, whatever the H-E-B equivalent is of that. Uh, and um, like I said, I, I value it. I like it. But that's what I'm saying to you. That's not necessarily proven by my actions. And this is case in point. I pulled this out of the fridge earlier this week, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's still good. No, it went beyond its expiration date about a month ago. Um, So that's why I have it here and not in the refrigerator. I'm going to throw it away immediately after the 11 o'clock service so that some poor soul doesn't happen to eat it by accident. Um, But it's expired, which means that even though I say that I value it, even though I say that I love it, that I enjoy it, that I like the taste, that I think it's good for my health, that I would rather eat it than I would some, well, I would rather, like when I'm thinking ahead, not necessarily in the moment, that I would rather eat it than I would some salty or fatty or super sugary snack. Even though I say all of those things, it doesn't bear true in my actions, what I actually do with this thing that I call valuable. Maybe you can identify identify with that in other ways. Maybe it's the electronic device that you thought you just had to have or you know someone in your family, they just had to have this particular item and they get it and they love it for about 30 minutes, maybe 30 days, use it for a while and then it goes in some drawer in some nightstand somewhere in the house and you never see it again except a couple of times when it comes out to be reminded that you have it in the first place. Or maybe it's not an electronic device, maybe it's that expensive exercise machine sitting in the corner of your living room silently mocking you every time that you look at it. It now serves as a clothes hanger. You bought it on an impulse when you saw it in some late night kind of advertisement and so you just had to have it because you knew that it would take your flabby body and and give you a six pack and make you into a Greek god or goddess in like 90 days or less or your money back and even though you told yourself you were going to use it and you were going to value that and it was going to change your life and completely revolutionize your health 
what you actually do with it speaks to the true value that you give it. Maybe here's something we can even all identify with. Those of you who have cable packages, how many of the channels that you pay for do you actually watch consistently? If you have 300 channels and you watch three, you are literally using 1% of the TV that you pay for on a regular basis. You might say that it's a valuable package, but what are you doing with that thing that you call valuable? Let me ask the same question with Scripture. We say that this book, that this word that we have been studying the last two weeks, and we'll end our Word 511 series on this morning, you might say that it's valuable. You might say that it is the most valuable valuable written word in the existence of humanity, that it is the most valuable advice, that is the most valuable instruction, direction for your life. You might say that, but what do your actions say about the value that you give this book? There's been arguments all throughout church history as to the nature of biblical authority, as to exactly what word we should use to describe the nature of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. Even within the Baptist world in particular, the entire denominations and churches have divided over semantics, over making sure that we choose the right word. Let me submit to you this morning that our culture doesn't value Scripture, and it has nothing to do, or it has little to do. I shouldn't say nothing. That would be overstating the point. Our culture does not value Scripture, and it has very little to do with the way we talk about Scripture. It has to do more with the way that we handle Scripture, with the way that we apply Scripture, with the way that we allow or not allow Scripture to speak into our lives, whether or not we structure our worldviews around Scripture, whether or not we structure our morality around Scripture, whether or not we look to Scripture for what to do with our marriage, with our parenting, with being a child of an aging parent, with all of the different things in our world, the political sphere, with the way that we vote, with the way that we operate in our, in our workplaces Whether or not we actually value Scripture with our actions might have more to do with why our culture doesn't value Scripture than simply the way we speak about the Bible. The value you give to Scripture is evident not in what you say about the Bible, but in what you do with it. Of all the words that we use for Scripture, the basic question is this. Is Scripture your rule for life? Are you orienting your life, your worldview, your behavior, your morality, your opinions? Are you orienting those things around Scripture? That's where the true value, or at least the value you place upon the Bible, is to be found. So let me ask the question, how do you use your Bible? There's a big continuum as to how you might use it. Many in the world today don't have one, don't want one. The only time they might see one might be in a hotel room or in a hospital or in prison where the Gideons have placed one, or maybe in a school when they hand those out, the schools that allow that to happen still. Or maybe it's a coffee table decoration. You know, you claim to be a Christian whenever there's a survey asked as to what religious belief you adhere to. You say, I'm a Christian because that's what your family has always been. And, and so you want to make sure, just in case your mother-in-law comes over, that there's a Bible on the coffee table or a visitor so that everyone knows that you are actually a Christian, that you're not lying about that. Maybe it's something that you keep in your house and that you take out every Sunday morning when you're getting ready to go to church or Wednesday night when you're getting ready to go to Bible study. You want to make sure that you have a Bible, your own copy to look at when you're studying the Bible or when the preacher is reading from the Bible so that you're not staring at the screen. You you want to make sure that you actually have a copy and that's really the only time that you bring it out. 
Or, or, or maybe it sits on a table, like, you know, the catch-all table that a lot of people have when you get in from work or school and you just kind of put everything down. Maybe it, it sets on that table and you're constantly reminded throughout the week and you think to yourself, I should really get to that. I should really open that and, and study it. And it becomes like that piece of exercise equipment that stands in the corner mocking you. Or, or maybe you have it in a, in a metaphorical glass box in your house on a wall with a handle attached to it, and there's a sign that says, break in case of emergency, where when things go bad, you know, to open the Bible and to try to gain some wisdom or gain some help, that it's a life preserver, essentially, that you turn to when you're about to drown. Maybe that's the way that you use Scripture. Maybe it's there for an occasional reference, for an occasional pick-me-up. Maybe it's something that you turn to every now and then, which, of course, is better than nothing. Or maybe as we continue to move down that spectrum, maybe it's something that you view as more valuable than the prescriptions that their doctors have given you. And you make sure that you take a little bit every morning and every evening and maybe during the middle of the day when you have a moment that you make sure you you look at it at every meal, that you try to ingest it and you try to allow it to make a difference in your life. Maybe it's something that's like, uh, was it American Express that you never leave home without? I'm sorry, I know that's, a, that's an older commercial. I'm forgetting exactly what card it is. I think it's American Express. Maybe you view the, view the Bible in that same way. Is it something that you, you want to make sure that you have it on, on your mobile device or you want to make sure you have a copy in your vehicle, a copy in each vehicle? Maybe you have a pocket-sized one that you carry around with you because it's that valuable. You want to make sure that you never leave home without it. Maybe you're so desperate for that kind of knowledge of the Word that you actually begin to put it in your mind and in your heart you begin to commit those verses to memory so that they literally never leave you never leave home without them they go with you wherever you are how do you value the bible and all the talk about authority of scripture in our church today it matters more what we do with it than what we say about it as i said last week you have great potential sitting in front of you the living and active Word of God that separates everything within us and, and reveals the thoughts and intentions of our hearts that goes to the very core of who we are. You have that powerful Word sitting in front of you or displaying on your screen right now or it's about to be on the screen behind me. What will you do with that value? I think that's the question to leave with as we exit this series. What will you do with the most valuable word in the universe. Because an invaluable Bible left unopened is worthless. Now, don't hear me say that God's word is worthless. I don't think that. I'm talking about relative to your life in particular. It is invaluable. It is priceless, the word of God. But if it is never opened, read, and obeyed, it is worthless in your life anyway. It is not making a difference. If it is not being used for its chief end, to make a difference in the heart of men and bring them to God. An invaluable Bible left unopened is worthless. So let's open it. Close to the middle of the Bible. Chances are, I don't know exactly what the percentages are, but if you were to open your Bible close to the middle, I opened to Ezekiel, so I just completely ruined my illustration here, but if you were to open your Bible close to the middle, you would probably open somewhere in the book of Psalms. Psalm 117 is actually the middle chapter of the Bible. If you divide it up into verses, biblical scholars say that it's somewhere in Psalm 105. It's different depending upon which translation and which Greek it's based off of or Hebrew and on all that. But somewhere in the book of Psalms is the actual middle of the Bible. But Psalm 119 is very close. In Psalm 119, 105 through 112 is the scripture we're going to be in here in just a moment. 
Psalm 119 is also the longest chapter in the Bible, consisting of 176 verses. It is a Hebrew acrostic, which means that there are 22 stanzas, and each of those stanzas uh, coincides with one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza has eight verses within it, hence 176, eight times 22. And each of those eight verses begin with that stanza's letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's this great piece of, 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 of poetry, really, that happens to be close to the middle of our English Bibles. And guess what it's about? Guess what the whole chapter is about? The longest chapter in the entire Bible, probably written by King David, although we're not entirely sure, is a psalm, a poem, written about what? About God's word. About the value of God's holy word. About his law. Now, for King David, it would have been the first five books of the Bible. But for us, we know that this is all of God's word that we have for ourselves in Scripture. Psalm 119 is an extended meditation over the value of God's word, so it only seems fitting that it's about right in the middle of our Scriptures. So again, let us open this most valuable word in existence. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Look at all the different words that the psalmist uses to refer to God's word. Your word, O God. Your word is a lamp to my feet. He talks about it as the law, as precepts, as testimonies, as statutes, but all of it is pointing back to the main idea of the word of God. And it begins with that metaphor, at least in this passage. He begins with the metaphor of the word being, as we sung earlier, a lamp for our feet. As those of you who grew up in vacation Bible school, when you would say the pledge to the Bible, you grew, uh, you grew used to saying these words. It is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and I will hide its word in my heart that I may not sin against God. Also from Psalm 119. This metaphor, a lamp to our feet, to keep us from tripping over what hides in the dark. Again, you could tell that the psalmist is in the midst of affliction, that there are problems, that darkness is surrounding him. A lamp is going to illuminate every step to make sure that we do not fall in a hole, to make sure that we do not trip over a a knob hill or something else standing in our way, for something to be waiting to snare us, as it says that the enemy is trying to do. The lamp lights the way in front of us. But the lamp, Now, a lamp. We don't use lamps much anymore today, which is basically a candle in a glass jar or something that you would walk around with. 
Uh, let me think of something that's more common to my generation, at least, and, and yours somewhat. Maybe some of you do this. You get up in the middle of the night, you need to go get some water or something else. And, and especially now when we have little kids, I've got to make sure that I have a lot so that I don't step on something. Can I get an amen from those of you who've had kids or have kids? You know that that's always a danger as you're walking through the house. Uh, especially in the middle of the night when, when the child is extremely young and we have all of these toys that make noise. There is not, no worse feeling than when you, you finally get the child back to sleep. And when I say you, I mean my wife, not me. But finally gets the child back to sleep and you're walking through the house to go to the restroom or something and you hit that toy. It's like a, you know, a police truck or something and the sirens start wailing and everybody in the house walks open. So I want to make sure that I see where I'm going. And so what I do is I pick up my phone that sits on my nightstand beside me, usually plugged into the charger, waiting to blare the alarm later in the morning. And I turn the flashlight on. You know, you know this. You guys do this. You turn the flashlight on so that you can see where you are going. Or maybe you have some other kind of light. Maybe you have lights hidden throughout the house. But even then, you know, it shows what's right in front of you. It doesn't illuminate the whole house. You would turn the lights on if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to see everything around you. Uh, those of you who are, are getting ready for deer season, which is almost upon us, if you ever hunted in the morning and you're trying to get to your stand inconspicuously, you know, you have a, a light or a flashlight and you're shining it directly the ground because you don't want to shine it around everywhere because you don't, certainly don't want any animals to be scared off as you're going up to the stand, but you want to make sure that you don't fall in a hole as you're walking, you know, especially if it's a new moon and there's no light in the sky to illuminate the way. You make sure that each step is there, and that's essentially what the Bible does for us, is it illuminates the path in front of us. Now, what I want is for somebody to flip the light switch and for everything to become illuminated at once so that I can see both where my next step is going to land and where my final step is going to land. But what scripture does, it's like a lamp that we carry with us that illuminates the next step in the path. While God might not want to give us exactly what we want and show us the entire path, he illuminates our path along the way. This is is essential in a metaphor about scripture because it tells us about how we need to keep God's word with us how we need to carry God's word with us, that it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's a continually keeping God's word in front of us and in our minds and in our hearts. It is a lamp for our feet. But you use the lamp. You don't blow it out, right? You learned that in Vacation Bible School too. Nobody blows the lamp out. You you turn it on or you light it and you keep it lit. If you're walking around in the darkness and you have a flashlight in your pocket, you don't leave it in your pocket. If you have a brain, you pull it out and you use it. Those of us who are in the world today, we are walking around in darkness. Darkness surrounds us. You want to know? Turn on the news. Look around. Not even that. Take time to look inwardly at your own heart and see the darkness there because it exists within all of us. And as you walk through the darkness, you have the light of God to illuminate your path. And you're like someone who has a flashlight in their pocket and never bothers to turn it on if you leave your word somewhere around you and you never open it and seek truth and guidance from it. The Bible is valuable beyond measure and it is worth everything. It is worth so much more than we could ever articulate or imagine, but it is worthless to you if you do not open it and use it. The psalmist talks about an oath that he swore to God, that he would follow his precepts, that he would follow his teachings. The psalmist has promised to obey God's word. Now, you and I have not written an oath, but when we pledged our love and loyalty to Jesus Christ, we also said that we would be obedient to him, because as Jesus says, to love me is to obey my commandments. 
You and I have given our lives to Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus is also known as, according to the book of John, what? The Word of God, the Word made flesh who lived and walked among us, and who through His Holy Spirit indwells all of us today. This Word made flesh, this Jesus who came for us, the one who wants to be with us and within us. We have given our lives to Him, and we have, through accepting Him as Savior, we have signed an oath in his blood, that we would be obedient to him. And scripture shows us how to do that. Even in the midst of severe affliction. Again, the psalmist seems to be, it seems to be something going on. Something dangerous. Something urgent. If this is King David, you might get the idea that he is running from Saul or some other incredible force that's coming against him that he is worried that his enemies might overtake him. But he says time and time again in these seven verses, he says over and over again, no matter what, yes, or eight verses, I'm severely afflicted. Yes, my enemy has laid a snare for me. Yes, but still I will obey your law. But still I will follow and trust your precepts. I'll obey even though my life is always in danger. In my ESV, he says, I hold my life in my hand continually. What does that mean? It's, it's a Hebrew part of speech that most likely means that his, he feels like his life is always in danger of being lost. That it's always right there. That he's trying to protect it. And that at any moment, it might be required from him. Even in the midst of that danger, he will not turn away from God's word. How about especially in the midst of that danger, he will not turn away from God's word. Because as he goes on to say, God's precepts, God's testimonies, the word of God is our joy, the psalmist writes. Do you find joy in God's word? Before you just say yes, because you're supposed to say yes, when a pastor asks you that question, let me ask you to ask yourself that again. Do you find joy in the word of God? Now, I'm not asking you to beat yourself up when you're reading Leviticus or Lamentations and you think, oh gosh, this is hard to get through. It is hard to get through sometimes. But do you find, generally speaking, joy in the Word of God? I was in, in part Nehemiah earlier this week, and I find joy in the story of rebuilding that happened when some of the captives came back to Israel and they began to rebuild I find joy in that because spiritually speaking, I can see the need for that in the church in America today, the need for rebuilding, the need for noticing where the places in the wall are torn down and wanting to come and build them back up, even though Senballat and and his friends are over there trying to make everything bad for us, and there are people constantly trying to make us afraid so that we don't rebuild. I can see the value, and I take great joy, and I take great heart in knowing that our God is a God who rebuilds, that our God is a God who looks at a city that is in ruins and sees not stones falling down on each other, but potential for stones to be placed back on each other to be rebuilt into something magnificent and great. I take heart in that when I think about the church in America today. I take joy in that word. Do you take joy in the word of God? Is it a source of joy for you? If it has become homework or if it has become something that you feel like you have to do, you have lost that joy for it. I'm not asking you to stop, read it. 
I'm asking you to look at it a different way. I'm asking you to remind yourself once again, as I have done a couple of times already in this series, but I'm going to do because we need the reminder once again. I'm going to ask you to remind yourselves that this is the breath of God. It is inspired by God, by his holy word, that he moved through human beings just like you and me to pin these words down. Again, as as we talked about in the beginning, that it is God breathed, that God breathed his spirit, his life into those people And that breath is apparent in the word today. And when we open these pages, God's breath falls upon us. And we too can be inspired by this inspired word of God. When I read about the the stories in the Old Testament of God using terrible people, people who made all kinds of mistakes, King David first and foremost, when I use, when I see the stories of him taking them in the midst of their failures and still using them for his kingdom and his power, that brings me joy. When I read the stories in the New Testament of also fallen people, Peter who stuck his foot in his mouth, who was willing to turn his back on Jesus, Paul who was so proud and arrogant at one point in his life that he was unwilling to even consider that Jesus might actually be the Messiah until Jesus came and made a difference right in his life and in an inner section where things changed drastically. When I read the stories of God moving in those people's lives, it brings me joy. And when I read the word that says that even while I was his enemy, Christ died for me, that brings me joy. When I read the word that says Jesus is coming back, that there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, and that he is coming back saying, I'm making all things new in a world that is so old and so trite and so I'm so cynical about, it brings me great joy to know that one day Christ will make all things right and everything will be new every single morning. Can I get an amen? It brings me joy. Does the word of God bring you that same sense of joy? It should. And I hope it does for you. So be like the psalmist and incline your heart to keep his statutes forever to the end, no matter what you go through whether apathy, whether trial, whether temptation, whether tragedy, that you might turn to his word in every single situation. Because the value you give to scripture is evident not in what you say about it, but in what you do with it. So let me challenge you for the last time. Let's say for the last time, not in my, my pastorate. But for the last time in this series, let, you, let me challenge you to take this book, open the word, to don't just let it sit there, to don't just think, oh, this will be a good idea, but to open the word, to make time. I'm not going to say take time because you have it. You just got to make it happen. To make the time to open this word and to read the word. And when I say read the word, I'm not just saying kind of skim over it. Sometimes when you're in a hurry, you got to do that. I understand it. But I'm saying read it, meditate upon it, think about these words. Think about what they meant to the people to whom they were originally written and what they also mean to you. Open the word, read the word, and finally obey the word. Let it be something that affects the way that you live. And that is where you will tell the world what authority Scripture actually has over your life. It is the invaluable Word of God. And if we value it, let us use it, not just talk about it. Don't miss the potential you have in this Word. An invaluable Bible left unopened is worthless. Let me speak truth and say, please, stop saying you value the word of God if you're not reading it. 
if you're not obeying it. Because you don't. No matter what your mouth says, the actions of your heart betray what is true. Stop saying you value it if you don't read it, if you don't study it and obey it. Just like this yogurt. It sits unused. It's a good idea. It's going to be healthy. But if you don't open it, what's the point? An invaluable Bible left unopened is worthless. But a Bible opened and obeyed can change the world. It has before, and it will again. A Bible opened and obeyed can change the world. Words like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Words like I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Words about Jesus and all the heroes of our faith. They can and will change the world. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those words can change this world. It can certainly change yours. <coughs> so if you haven't gotten <coughs> your envelope to take the word 511 challenge, there's some in this box right here on the front pew, some in our Home Connection Center. There's also some on the stand if you go out in the front. But I encourage you to do that. Check that out. It's kind of self-explanatory. I've already gone over it a couple of weeks. But if you haven't heard that, just pick it up, and it'll tell you kind of what the challenge is. Well, my challenge goes well beyond this, that you make this Word of God a continual part of your life. And one last challenge, and I really mean this as a challenge, Several months ago, the deacons and I got together one evening, and we talked through what is, what is a church are we about and what do we want to be about. And one of the things that came up is valuing the Word of God, honoring the Word of God. And one thing that came out that you guys have done before, before I got here, is to have a reading around the clock with the Bible, to read 24 hours a day. And we talked about how that sounded like a great idea as a deacon body. I thought that was an awesome idea, something we could do together, and we're going to do that. Now, here's the bad news. We were scheduled to start that tomorrow, but there's still 19 blanks on that piece of paper over there. And it's not going to work if there's 19 blanks. There's 48 total, so you can do the math if you want to. I can't do it that quickly in my head when it's odd numbers like that, but there's still a lot of blanks that need to be filled. 20, yeah, I'm not gonna, like I said, I'm not going to do it. I'll make a fool of myself if I try to do the math on the spot. There's still plenty of places that need to be filled, 19 that need to be filled. 20-something people have signed up for it. And if you haven't, today is your day. It's not a huge commitment that you're making. It's reading, it's taking 30 minutes out of a 24-hour day for seven days in a row. Okay, so it's, it's taking 1 48th of your day for seven days in a row, right? So I hope that you guys consider that, that you do that. There's still a lot of blanks that need to be filled up. Uh, I, I, I usually try not to get too, like, you know, pressure-oriented with that kind of stuff. I'm not much of a salesman. But I think this would be a great idea for us to do. And maybe, just maybe, maybe just, no, absolutely. If you spent 30 minutes a day in the Word of God, it will make your life better too. This is not going to be something that you think about at the end of this week. Man, I wish I could get those 30 minutes a day back. What a waste spending that reading the Bible. So maybe you can think about doing that. And if you want to sign up for that, 
please do that. Hopefully we can get enough people to sign up for that next week where we can start it next week. We're going to have to postpone it a week because we just don't have enough people. So I hope that you consider that. Sign up for that today or sometime before like Wednesday so that we can get copies out to everybody. I really think it's a good idea. That's the sales pitch that I have for you there. But like I said, beyond all of that, this is a valuable word. But if you're not opening it, if you're not reading it, studying it, and obeying it, it is worthless in your life. Don't let the most invaluable piece of literature, the most invaluable word that you will ever lay eyes upon be worthless in your life just because you didn't make the time to open it, read it, and obey it. It is a valuable word. And if you open it, it can change your world and the world around you. During our time of invitation this morning, I encourage you once again if you haven't took this challenge, consider doing that. The envelopes are right there. And if you, God is speaking to you about the way that you value Scripture, not what you say about it, but what you do with it, I would encourage you just to let him talk to you during this time through prayer. And if you need to pray about that or anything else, I'm here to do that with you this morning. I'll be around after the service as well. And, of course, the altar is open. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Uh, And after I I finish with the prayer and Bill and Lynn are leading us in our song of invitation, you move in whatever way God is telling you to. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your word. God, we repent for taking it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would put within us, when I say us, I mean this church body, that you would put within us a passion for your word. Not just a vocalized one, but an actualized one. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.